Yes, of course. That's <laughs> all right. That's all right. Um, yeah, we'll move on to, I think it was the second semi-final or the first, whatever they call it, but it was the second one to be played on Saturday. Port Adelaide versus GWS. Uh, yeah, take us through this one, Dan. Yes, so Port finishing third, having lost to Brisbane, were hosting the Giants who had finished uh, in seventh and accounted for the Saints in week one. So oddly for a uh, team in Port who had finished in the top four, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, you know good vibes going for Port coming into this game. I think they had a few guys under injury clouds. They were still favourites, but I think there were a lot of people liking the Giants' chances in this one, and I think we were in that camp, weren't we, Johnny? Yes, we certainly were. Certainly were. So what happens here? Quarter number one in front of a packed Adelaide Oval. So Port were definitely up and about early, and two free, goal, uh, free kick goals, I should say, uh, to Willie Rioli. Definitely knows how to draw a free kick. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I just realized we got through the whole Melbourne game without uh, mentioning the umpiring, which was probably a little bit of over-umpiring, but let, let's not go there. So, Rioli yes. wins a couple of free kicks here and uh, gets two goals on the board there as well. The Giants didn't take too long to settle down and start to actually dominate the clearances, though, and uh, it was giving them the chance to answer a lot of Port's goals in this quarter. So, it was kind of goal for goal through this whole quarter. And uh, yeah. Toby Green and Hogan as well getting on the board there from some centre-bounce goals as well. Yeah, one thing I've noticed about this was that the GWS forward line was is really functioning well at the moment. I mean, it was that was one of the massive uh, deficiencies at the start of the year and concerns for the Giants. But you know, you've got you know, Hogan leading out, uh, Bedford's doing his bit, then Green gets down there. It's like in contrast to Melbourne's forward line. Jeez, I'd love to be. But you've got Daniels as well. He, he's a good goal sneak. I'd love to be playing with that forward line. Yeah, Bedford and Daniels just doing a really good job for them. They've got a bit of pace. They, uh, well, at least I think Daniels uses the ball really nicely. And yeah, I don't know. They're yep. just they're just doing that grunt work of small forwards. And the way GWS play, I think it does suit that small forward type. Yeah, absolutely. So Port for were play, uh, for their part were finding plenty of space, taking it out of uh, half back, and in one particular play it was uh Willem Drew who waited and waited and then hit a perfect kick to Bergman who basically received in the center circle basically all by himself that was how good a kick it was just like getting it through to a running uh guy I guess like it makes you think a bit of like NFL getting through to the receiver and he was in all sorts of space there so managed to lace out Todd Marshall who went back and kicked the set shot from straight in front what a bit of play this was, Johnny. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that was absolute. That was a marvel of play to watch. Uh, yeah, it was. It, it, there was some really good quality on display, though, from both sides early on. And, yeah, it was It was good. It was good to watch some, some skill and, yeah, a bit of uh, showtime footy. Absolutely. And for the Giants, it was Tom Green who was getting into the mm. thick of it with plenty of uh, contested possessions and clearances. And as usual, it was Whitfield coming off the half-back line, causing problems. So, yeah, both teams throwing what they had at each other here, and it all ended up as a 4-1-25 to uh, 4-3-27. So it's a two-point lead to the Giants here. So Port managing to score, but uh, 
the Giants managing to come back at them each time. Oh, yeah. So let's go to the second quarter now. So after Drew found the first goal, getting a tidy snap through from general play on the left, the Giants were able to answer straight away through a center bounce goal courtesy of Hogan. So it was uh, nice to see Jesse taking a few marks in this game, Johnny, mm. and uh, yeah, getting back on the final stage. Although I don't think he didn't actually play a final for Melbourne, did he? Because he got injured no. just before the 2018 uh, final series. Yep, that's right. That's right. But it was fantastic to see him playing the way he was. I don't usually watch ex-Melbourne players and hope for them to succeed like actively, but I really enjoyed watching him in this game. I thought uh, he's moving beautifully. He's kicking really well. Yeah, it'd be great to have him right now. Yeah, he was good on the contested mark in this game. So, uh, yeah, yes. finding space well, leading patterns look pretty good. So, all looking good for Hogan there. So, yes. it was the Giants in full flight at this point in the second now. They continued to beat Port up around the ball and run in waves, linking up at will. So, four more goals resulted here, including a bomb from outside 50 from Isaac Cumming that was a thing of beauty, a classy finish from general play from Josh Kelly, it was just all coming up giants in this period, Johnny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it it really, the switch just flicked. It was a, it was a run-on of goals, and it was really, oh, it was catching Porter by surprise. Yeah, the, the dominance around clearance, but even like if Port did get it forward, they were running out of half-back, taking the game on. They just seemed yeah. to have the the game style just everyone's completely in sync at the moment obviously they talk about how you know Adam Kingsley has put his sort of Richmond stamp on it having been an assistant there and uh yeah they're just keen to keep moving the ball forward keep taking the game on and uh they've got a lot of skillful players so they got the, a lot yep. the, they're like linking up super well and yeah it was very impressive what they were able to do here yeah oh for sure so there's still heaps of time left on the clock as the Giants had nailed all these goals, uh, but it was a slew of tricky shots now and they could only add another six individual points there. Port also had a couple of chances late but were unable to break through. So that all added up to a 29-point Giants lead, 5-6-36 to 9-22-65. Uh, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel like this lead was bigger than it was? I, I kind of felt like with the momentum that GWS had, it seemed like it was more like around eight goals. It must be nine, twelve, sixty-five. That sounds right. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, so yeah, was it bigger? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it did feel like the game was completely on the Giants' terms, and like twenty-nine points is a, still a big lead in a final. But yeah. It could have been so much more for sure. Like they had so many chances. So what did they kick in this quarter? That's uh, five goals and then a whole heap of points. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they were on fire. All right, let's go to the third quarter now. So Port really came out breathing fire at the start of the third quarter. I guess it was now or never for Port. They needed to do something. And it was Willie Rioli again finding himself in the exact right position and getting through for his third goal there. So Porter definitely upped the ante around the ball and uh, were winning more critical contests, especially Butters uh, with that 
very characteristic running style of his. Uh, don't quite know how to describe it, but you'll know it if you see it. He was able to be a chief architect in a lot of their plays here. So they're able to get three of the first four goals here to close within 18 points. Yep, yep. So was there anything in particular that impressed you about Port in this period, Johnny, or just sort of saw it as them, you know, raising their level enough to at least give the Giants a bit to think about here? Yeah, it seemed like that they were very reliant on Butters and Rosie to get their plays going, I thought, at this point. Uh, but, look, they, they weren't – I didn't think they were doing too bad. It just seemed like GWS were that good. They were really making good decisions through the middle and using it well. They had the sharpness up forward. They just didn't seem – there was a period where they just didn't seem to have an answer for it. Yeah, absolutely. So the Giants held true to that style that you're talking about there, Johnny. Kept pushing the ball forward, kept playing with good intent, and did manage to get the game back on their terms. So it was Cornelio nailing another set shot from 50. He had a fantastic game, finding space, running up, using the ball well there as well. Uh, But again, the Giants did miss a number of shots, including two sitters to Hogan and Bedford. So... Hogan had a snap from about, I don't know, what was it, about 20, 25 metres out, managed to miss that one. And Bedford, in the clear, about 20 metres out, completely shanked the kick there as well. So uh, yeah, for all Port's good work, it was still a 26-point Giants lead, 8.755 to 11.15.81. Yeah, yep. <laughs> the damage has been done at that point, I think. So let's go to the fourth quarter. So... Port was still giving it all they had, yep. uh, but it was and it did. Ma- they did manage to get the first goal of the last quarter here. So Dixon taking a nice, strong, contested mark and getting it through from distance, and a run of point, uh, run of points from Port managed. They managed to get the margin back to under three goals. So close enough, if good enough, is a phrase that comes to mind there. But uh, the Giants remained calm under pressure and. They did seem to attempt to take the sting out of the game a little bit by uh, just tempering their aggressive game style a little bit at times. And they did manage to get a set shot kick for Jake Riccardi around the 50-meter line, pretty much right on the boundary, and he couldn't have hit it any better. Sweetly timed and uh, straight through the middle for the match winner. 23-point win to the Road Giants. Yep. 9-16-70 to 13-15-93. Port kicking a whole heap of points, but again, a lot of those were either rushed or touched. So uh, not really generating a whole lot of uh, good scoring chances there. Although, you know, they did miss some easy ones as well. But I guess the Giants did enough to hold off Port in that second half and, uh, yeah, run out 23-point winners. Yep, yep, and... Looking at that, 13 goals, 15 compared to what Melbourne kicked. It's actually not too bad, isn't it? <laughs> but um, Well, let, let's yeah. look at Port's score, 9-16. It's almost the exact yeah. score that Melbourne kicked. Same thing. But, uh, yeah, a lot. I think more of those were also, were touched and rushed. But still, you know, in, a, in, in, in accuracy, uh, you know, you only get so many chances. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. You don't have to be perfect with your chances. You just have to convert enough of your chances. And, you know, 93, that's a pretty good score to get in finals, I think. And, it's you know, it's going to win you a few games. For sure. Uh, 
yeah, I thought the Giants were outstanding. Absolutely. So what about the port side of things? You know, they've been accused of not showing up for some of their home finals they've had over the last few years. Did they show up for this one or was it another absolute failure here from Port Adelaide? Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure what to say to this because, th- like we said, they, they played some decent footy in this game. But I don't I, – I, I look at the season as a bit of a hole. I, I think that – I hate to say it, but I think Port's season was slightly overrated. Um, they walked a pretty fine line. Six of their wins this year came by margins of 10 points or less. And they always seem to look vulnerable in defense. They only ranked, I think they ranked 12th for fewer, 12th fewest points conceded. And, you know, when they couldn't get the ball out of the middle, uh, especially against the Giants in this game, um, the back line was exposed. And that's what happened, I think. So, yeah, that. Look, they're a good side. They're a very good side, but I think that they've got some deficiencies as well as some great strengths, but their deficiencies sort of came home to roost. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously yeah. they did re-sign Hinkley uh, about August or late August, I think it was. We had that conversation earlier in the yes. year whether they should do that or not, whether they should wait it to the end. I said, wait to the end. Yes. They, they didn't do that. They didn't uh, do it. But uh, yeah, where to here from here for Port Adelaide? <laughs> yeah, very, very good question. Um, yeah, look, that they need to they need to address their defense. It's not gonna. I don't think that defense is gonna win your premiership. Um, the midfield, definitely, the midfield is developing beautifully. Uh, got some great forwards. I don't know how long Dixon would have left, but uh, they've still got a good forward line. But uh, yeah, they they really need to get just some good, uh, you know, key position back there just to. To handle the big forwards, uh, you know, Jesse Hogan had a had a really good game in this one. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they'll do next year. I guess they. Um, what do What do you think their number one need is? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious as you've touched on that the defense is the area of weakness, and I, they've been linked to a few guys like uh, Radaglia and a couple of others, but yes. yeah, they're not proven players. So, yeah, it, it is going to be tricky, but, you know, maybe they could find a diamond in the rough. Yeah, they could almost use a player like uh, <laughs> like what the Crosstown Royals have. Someone like Jordan Dawson, I think, would help this team a lot. Yeah, to be fair, I think he'd help most teams, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, absolutely, he'd help every yeah. single team. It, it is tricky with Port Adelaide. They've been on this Hinkley track for so long, like... How long can you keep going to the well with the same coach and thinking you're going to get a different result? Like, I don't want to say, you know, like Port have been good over the last five years, but like, yes. how do you go from good to great, I suppose, is the question. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like they have been good, but that's a club that, you know, they say they exist to win premierships. <laughs> it's not anything less than that is, is not. You know, not good enough. So, you know, how many prelims has, has Ken been in? I think it's, what, maybe three or four, something like that. Um, I can think of at least three off the top of my head. There's probably a yeah, fourth in it. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Look, he, he's done a good job this year. I thought he did answer the critics. But at the end of the day, that's, you know, it's about these games and 
going out in straight sets, as we've just spoken about with Melbourne, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. First time since 2016, I think they said it was, that both of the losers of the uh, qualifying finals go out in straight sets. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I really don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been what eleven years now for Ken. Mm, it's a fair while. Anyway, we'll all stay tuned for that one in twenty twenty four. Let's talk about the Giants a little bit. So, are they the best road team in the finals of the last decade? Like they've won. There's a stat going around that they've won a final in every single final series that they have competed in, which is a fantastic record. They've gone back-to-back wins here on the road against St Kilda and Port, obviously. They're just a really hard team to beat in finals. Yeah, and just one, you know, you don't feel safe against if you're playing them at home, I think. Now, like, we don't talk about it a lot because it's, you know, GWS, but they're, they're no pushovers when they travel. And I think that holds them in good stead for this final series, to be honest. If, you know, you're riding the wave of these road wins, um, just like the Bulldogs a few years ago, you, the belief just builds. And I think that uh, we'll see a pretty good game at the MCG next week. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned earlier how, you know, the Giants were having plenty of issues earlier in the year. How do you think Adam Kingsley has turned things around so quickly? I think he's just got them back to basics in a way. Like, it's the contest game and building from the inside out. They've gotten that, like you mentioned before, they've got that sort of synergy now again but with all their mids who have – they know each other well and they know each other's game. They're, they're just going back to what they know they can do well. And they've got some really good quality in the right spots. You know, to have Toby Green up and running is something that, you know, you have to have. Uh, missing Sam Taylor was a big out. And and when yeah, they got absolutely. him back, I think that really shored up their defense a lot. Uh, you know, Himmelberg's uh, also handy to have, and, you know, he's been a good swingman. But then um, up forward, like I said, there was never really that focal point to goal. And uh, they seem to have it now. Jesse Hogan's enjoying his footy again. Uh, it's good to see, he's, you know, he's happy at the moment. And yeah, I mean, they, they've got. They've still got a lot of quality there. Josh Kelly, I think, is having his best season for a while. Uh, there's just a lot of guys there playing to their potential again. Yeah, absolutely. Guys like Whitfield kind of went yep. missing for a while. Canelio, these guys just were getting nowhere near, you know, what they were capable of for a few years yes. there. But And then you've got the, sort of the next wave coming through as well, guys like Ash and a few others. They just seem to... Yeah, like as all good teams do, they're just very much, you know, playing for each other, just getting each other into good positions on the field and uh, moving the ball forward at all costs. Yeah, and I think Toby Green to captain has been a really good move. I mean, it's just that lead by example captain, um, you know, he performs well most of the time. And yeah, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, I guess, Wayne Carey as a captain. You know, he was just that lead by example. His performance benchmark was kind of up there, and uh, it's just a good standard to set. Yeah, we didn't mention Toby Green much, but I think another three goals. So he's had, it might have only been two, but he's had a lot of three-goal finals performances. So he's a guy that you can really rely on in these big games. 
Yeah, yeah. I would have liked the three goal game from him for us. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that episode we did like maybe a couple of years back now. We couldn't choose Toby Green as the player to go into one of the other top eight teams because we'd just be choosing him for every team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've noticed this stat, Dan. Uh, between 2000 and 2013, 26 of the 28 qualifying final losers responded to win in their semifinals. Since then, it's just 10 of 20 with uh, the Demons and the Power going out in straight sets most recently. Uh, see, what what reason do you think there is for this? Is that the pre-finals buy? Is it just that? Or is there something else? Is the competition a lot more level now? Like the inflection point is definitely the pre-finals buy. I think that is the main contributing factor for whatever reason. You know, the extra week's rest is really favoring the teams in the lower part of the eight. We saw that in with the Bulldogs the first year it came in, right? They yes. got to get all their players back and go over and smash up West Coast in that first week. So I just yep. think it evens the whole final series out a lot and that advantage that you've got of finishing the top four and, uh, you know, perhaps being more likely to be able to manage your team a little bit towards the end of the season, even if you're not actually resting, guys. I just think the whole playing field is a lot more level coming into the finals between. And I think, as you said, like, combine that with the fact that the competition is so even now, like, it's kind of just the perfect storm that it's starting to look like finishing top four isn't all it's cracked up to be if you look at those numbers. Yeah, yeah, it is. And if you're finishing top four, you better win that qualifying final. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, like, the other thing with this is, like, do you see any problem with that? Like, is there an issue with so many qualifying final losers losing their next game or is this just par for the course now? This is just the way things go. I think it's par for the course. I think you're going to get... tougher opponent in that semi-final than you would in the past. And if you're not on your game, you, you'll lose. As <laughs> simple as that. Yeah. Like, a lot of people say they don't like the pre-finals bye because it's a marathon, not a sprint with the season and you, you're disadvantaging the teams that are fishing higher up. But I don't know. I think it works. Like, Yeah, I think it works. Don't you want the best possible final series? Don't you want the guys to be rested up? Like, we don't don't want to be compromising the last the last round. Like, it's working, isn't it? I think I would say so. I would say so. All right, let's keep the pre-finals by then. Hopefully, uh, our new CEO CEO has the same uh, thought. It's Andrew Dillon, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Hopefully, he's listening to us right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yes. So. We'll quickly go through the preliminary finals for this week, Dan. So Friday night, I believe, is uh, Collingwood and GWS. Um, Who wins and why? Yeah, I'm increasingly thinking this is a 50-50, really. Like, I think you still have to favour Collingwood in front of their huge home ground, uh, home crowd, I should say, at the MCG. But, like, if you're looking at the numbers, it's Giants. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. looking at, at like that premiership tracker that's at the bottom of Squiggle that sort of shows where all teams' attack and defences are in relation to all the previous premiers or at least the ones for the last sort of 20 years. And 
the Giants and Brisbane are basically in the exact same spot on that uh, graph there. And it's yeah. so far above for the attack of both Collingwood and Carlton, who are basically in the same position in defense, but not for attack. So, like, if you're, if you're using that as a guide of who's going to win the premiership, and it's a pretty good guide in terms of predicting it traditionally, like, yeah, I don't know. You'd be favoring the Giants, really, in this game, but... You know, everything else is kind of pointing pointing to Collingwood. But, yeah, I think if the Giants can actually just settle into this game and play, mm. you know, the what we similar way to what we've seen in the last couple of rounds of the finals, Collingwood are going to have all they can deal with and more in this game. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think the Giants will give them a heck of a run for their money. I, I do favour Collingwood, but I think that this will be a really good game and I think the Giants will, will be with them for most of it. Uh, it also comes down to the Briggs injury. Uh, is is he going to be right for the prelim? I think that's a big one. If he was to to get up for it, then that's going to give Collingwood something to think about. If not, then it might be a, a little bit easier. But yeah, I think I think the Giants match them in midfield. I, think, I don't think there's any uh, any mismatches there. I think they definitely have them covered up forward, but the back lines are probably, yeah, look, I'd probably say Collingwood's just ahead, but uh, GWS back line's been very, very impressive too. Yeah, absolutely. I think like Buckley, Iden and Sam Taylor, like they are getting the job done. They're, oh, they're yeah. not losing contests, they're intercepting. So the back very line so. is an area of strength for sure. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, obviously when you've got Lockie Whitfield uh, distributing out of there, it's, it's yeah. and he's also played a bit of midfield minutes, but, yeah, uh, the form that he's in, fantastic. Uh, Nick Dacos, you'd expect him to be ripe and ready to go, but uh, I don't know. Is, is that going to play against him? He hasn't played a lot of footy. Well, yeah, like, it's hard to expect anyone to come in and have an immediate impact. So it'll definitely be a challenge. I think... Even if he's operating at you know a bit below hundred percent, like you'd still be getting something decent out yep. of him. But like, I guess like the way the numbers are setting up here, if you look at sort of the last eight or ten weeks, like is Collingwood actually going to be able to score enough to beat the Giants if they get things going? Nice one, yeah, nice question. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I think that if if the Giants get enough ball into their fifty, I think they'll score. That they could really put some points on fast. Uh, the question being, can Collingwood score enough? Well, they can, but I, I'm just yeah. They don't even in their wins this year. They don't tend to score that much, so they might really have a challenge here when it comes to that. Now, can they beat the Giants in a shootout? Yeah, like it's obviously a final, so it's probably unlikely that we're going to see a shootout. Although, like looking at that Giants Port game, like that had some of the markings of a shootout, really. So may- yeah, maybe yeah. we will see a more open game. Like uh, it's kind of strange with. I guess that's our version of a shootout these days. Yeah, like it's kind of strange with Collingwood, isn't it? Like in a lot of ways, the game is set up to you know give them the absolute best opportunities to score, but they still don't score that much. Like, yeah. what's going on there? Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> that's a good point. Um, 
that's a really good point because they uh, usually they usually run in the waves and they run sort of flat line, I guess, and they've got the numbers out and they, they're kind of it's almost like a rugby offense. Like they get yeah, they get forward of the ball. Um, you, but yeah, you're right. You would think that there would be a bit more score. I'd like to know what their average score is this year. But um, it was definitely higher in the first half of the season. But yes, uh, it, even then, like they weren't. I don't think they were the highest scoring team even in the first half of the season. So I don't know. Is it just the fact that you know they don't have that many dominant forwards? Like they have got some good forwards up there, but like if you're gearing your whole game around trying to make sure you have the best chances to score and you're still not scoring that much, like what does that actually say about the team? Yeah. Yeah, I think um like yeah, exactly. Like what is it what is it saying? Like are they just um are they just scoring when it matters, maybe? Maybe, yeah. Uh whereas look, the Giants maybe could be one of the teams, one of the few teams this year who could expose the the back line, well, not the back line, but uh, the uh, the space that's mm. left there when when they turn it over. Yes. That this, the Giants could be one of those teams that could slice it. Yeah, absolutely. So just a quick hypothetical on this one. If this game was being played at a neutral venue, say over at Optus Stadium, who would you be favouring yep. in this contest? So if it was at Optus Stadium, oh, jeez, I think it would be a, I think that would be an even money bet. Um. Yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be super confident if this was in COVID times. <laughs> for, if I was a Collingwood fan, I'd definitely back the team in. But yeah, I, I think that uh, yeah, that would definitely work more into the Giants' favour to mm. level it up. Yeah, yeah, I I can definitely see a world where you know Collingwood just hits the Giants with everything they have in the first quarter, and you know the damage is sort of done there. But yeah. I also sort of feel like that's actually not that likely to happen. Like this Giants team is very experienced now. Like obviously they've got some good young guys coming through, but the core of this team is very experienced. So you would think that they're going to give a good account of themselves and really put on show what they've actually been building in the second half of the season. And that's a prospect I'm really excited about. Yeah, this is a huge statement for the Giants. They can really come down and, and you know, like they made that statement four years ago, but they can really show them that this is how far we've come now. We're ready for it this time. And, you know, we're ready to make a, a big fist of a grand final. So, yeah, I I think Collingwood definitely would have preferred to play Port. I st- still think they'll have enough to get this done. But, yeah, I just think they're going to they're gonna get a big run for the money. Yeah, just like talking as a neutral now, like, I'm so much more enthused about going to Collingwood GWS than I was going to be about Collingwood Port. Like, I'm so glad the draw fell that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if Collingwood is going to get this job done, like, how do you actually see the game looking from a Collingwood point of view? Like, what are they actually going to be able to do that is going to diffuse the Giants somewhat or at least allow them to, you know, get those couple of extra goals on the board? I think they just need to use the space of the G as well as we know they can. Uh, you know, guys like Adams and side bottom, you know, doing their sort of hard running and yeah, getting out wide, getting some good, uh, yeah, just just some good ball to ground and then in the fifty, a bit a bit of chaos. And uh, I think a guy like Jamie Elliott probably needs to kick at least three in this game. 
Bobby Hill, if he can chip in as well, but uh, I think they need to get something out of this small forwards because I, I just I can't really see uh, Majacek taking over a game like this. Uh, he might kick his one or two, but I, I can't see him, you know, kicking a bag. And yeah, who else? Uh, you know, like, they'll have Cox and Cameron drift down there, but yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I'm 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 finding it hard to see these key forwards scoring. So. I would say they need a big game from those small forwards. Probably need to goey to chip in with a couple. And they probably need a few more midfield goals. So, yeah, I think that's where it sits. I think they need midfield goals. Interesting. Yeah, I guess like the Giants' one wood lately has been clearance. So, Collingwood just has to find a way to, if not match them in that area, at least you know, stem some of the bleeding from the clearance. And like they do have the back line that can stand up to, you know, a bit of fast ball coming in there, I think, with, you know, Quayno and Moore in particular good yep. at standing under those balls. But, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of an obvious thing to say, but Collingwood's defense is going to have to be good in this game. Yeah. And, look, I can see it being similar to the Melbourne game. I think the GWS aren't too dissimilar from Melbourne sometimes in the way they play. Uh, and for that reason, uh, that's why I give them a chance in this game because I think they can probably do what Melbourne didn't do. But I can see the back line of Collingwood standing up, you know, doing the intercepting, the cutoffs. Uh, they're going to have to do that again if they're going to win this game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we'll move on to the other prelim, Dan. Yeah, it's Saturday. What Do we know what time it is on Saturday? Is it twilight or is it night? I would have thought it was night, but I yeah, don't know that for a fact. I think it may well be night, actually. But it's Brisbane and Carlton. Um, instant thoughts for this one? Instant thoughts. Uh, I would be happy as a Brisbane supporter, but at the same time, you know, you can never take anything for granted in a prelim final. Yeah. I think, you know, if you just strip it back to the style, you know, Carlton as we've been talking about, plays a good, hard, honest, contested style. Uh, and, you know, Brisbane is good in that area as well. But when they have shown some vulnerability in the past in some of the bigger games against teams like, you know, Geelong and Melbourne, it has actually been, you know, getting beaten up a bit around the ball and not being able to, you know, have enough guys that are running both ways. That's where some of the issues have come out. So if that is still in there, then I feel like Carlton does have some of the pieces that could actually exploit that. Yeah, yeah, good point. I think it's going to start in the middle with this one. Uh, you know, clearances, contested bullets. Yeah, that's probably going to set the tone for the game. But it'll also be about which forwards get on top early, I think, in this one. If uh, if Cameron, Denneher, Hipwood get on the scoreboard early, I think it's going to be a long night for Carlton because they'll just, you know, they'll have their eye in. But if... Carlton can somehow manage to get a few entries early. Uh, you know, it depends. I'm, if they can, the longer they can stay with them, the better. But uh, yeah, look, this is one of those games where I think if if Brisbane came out and kicked the first three or four goals straight, I, I would just be thinking a lot like some of those prelims we've seen in the past, like that West Coast Melbourne one. I'd just mm. be thinking, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long night. Yeah, like we've seen so many close games through this final series. So, you know, the Brisbane-Port one was, I guess, the biggest blowout, even though what was it around there, like 38. But, 
Yeah. I don't know. Surely Carlton can make this competitive at least for a half and maybe longer. But Yeah. Yeah, it's I don't know. Brisbane just has a knack of being able to actually get games back on their terms up at the Gabba. Even when it looks like things are going against them and the opposition's getting a bit of a run on, they've been really good in the games I've watched at just absorbing and going again. Okay. Yeah. Just okay, I'll take that those couple of hits and we're gonna push back again and uh yeah. They've been I think that's one of the things they've done better this year, just their ability to hang in games even when it's not going all their way and then they get their chance and we know they score quite freely. So, uh, yeah, that's been quite an impressive aspect of the Brisbane game for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They do seem to get it back on their terms pretty quickly and I think that comes down to the balance and they have that they have in midfield now. They seem to get that clearance that they need when they, when they need it a lot more and Josh Dunkley's been a great inclusion for that. Uh, and there's so much more youth in this side, the, the Fletchers, the Colemans. There's just a lot more, yeah, a more, lot more zip now. And, yeah, I think it, yeah, it's a much more balanced side now. And, yeah, I'd be backing them. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, if Carlton can make this close, is it going to be – are they going to just sort of – bring, not, not like necessarily bring Brisbane down to their level, but just trap them in that sort of really contested game and sort of turn it into a lower scoring game, you know, maybe like 60 to 70 yeah. rather like than... a bog hole of a game, yeah. Rather than like letting it get a bit more open that perhaps, you know, we see quite often in Brisbane games. Is that is that the way forward here for Carlton? Yeah, I think so. I think they've got to turn this into another grinder game. They've just got to, yeah contest, repeat stoppages, uh, and try and get that space that they got against Melbourne. But, uh, yeah, it's – it's the, the, I don't – this is the game where it, it, Carlton's not going to beat Brisbane in a shootout. They're just not. No. It would be – hopefully they get Harry Mackay and also Jack Martin back this week. That would help a lot, yeah. But, that would uh, help a lot. Yeah, still, it's, I don't think it's ever really advisable to – go into a shootout with Brisbane up there. Although we sort of did yeah. see that in the 2022 final series, Richmond-Brisbane, and that was basically yeah. a flip of a coin that night. But I suppose That's true. they you'd think they're a better team now, Brisbane. And, you know, with some extra defensive solidity, I think an open game is going to be hard to uh, beat Brisbane in that style of game, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's going to be an interesting one. But it will be a good watch, I think. and. Yeah, I think uh, we're both, both backing Brisbane, but uh, it would be good to see if Carlton can take it to him. Yeah, absolutely. I did have one more question. So it's not really specific to any of the games, but I guess just more of a broad-ranging question. So of the four teams we have left, obviously the Giants, the Pies, uh, Brisbane and Carlton, who would lifting the Premiership Cup be the biggest story for or the best story for is probably a better way of putting it. Well, um, the biggest story. The biggest story. Maybe not biggest, maybe best. <laughs> the best story. Uh, look, it's very easy to go straight to GWS and I think that would be up there. But it is pretty cool to see uh, – a coach like Michael Voss, he was—they were calling for his hair in the middle of the year, 
and then to go what eleven of their last twelve, if they were to win the flag, what would that be? That'd be thirteen of their last fourteen. Uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty cool story. <laughs> yeah, so you're going for Carlton, yeah. Yeah, I think I'll just go for Carlton. Yeah. All right. Like I think all of the teams have a really good story out of this. That's really, true. like you know, Collingwood they you know had the heartbreak in 2018. Didn't quite work out with what Buckley was trying to do. Although like he still bought built like a really good core of a team, and you know yes. McRae has come in and instilled a different a different game style, and they've you know played with some attacking flair, and you know won a lot of great game so you know yep. i guess for a not a non a non-pious supporter maybe that's a little bit of a hard sell but i think it's still a good story i, I agree with you i like the carlton story of yeah. you know just being nowhere for so long having you know chances in the last year or two and just completely blowing it every time they got close and yeah. just all of a sudden it just clicks and even halfway through the year it looked like they were basically a rabble, but yeah, for some yeah. somehow, bit by bit, it's come together, and uh, yeah, Vossi's got them humming, and yeah, to go from that to you know premiers in one year would be an amazing story, I think. So I think that definitely trumps Collingwood. I really like the idea of the Giants getting their first premiership. Obviously, yeah, like it's it's a tall order, but uh, that would be a fantastic story one of the startup clubs of the 2010s who has been super competitive through that time period yeah. and uh, just, you know, they play the game the right way. I think everyone is enjoying the way the Giants are playing now. So I think that would, when one of these teams, you know, Gold Coast or GWS does finally break through for a premiership, it'll be a big validation for what the AFL has tried to do with this yes. extra expansion. So obviously, you know, the memberships are still low in comparison to the other clubs, but I think they've made some good inroads, even, yeah, in both areas, really. So it's trending in the right direction. And who have I missed out there? So Brisbane, obviously, uh, you know, had the checkered history as the Brisbane Bears got a little bit better as the Lions were a lot better. They got the three-peat and uh, not a lot since then, a few final series through the the noughties, they like to call it, and mm. I guess the 2010s and had a few rebuilds in there as well, but uh, it's all come together and they've had plenty of failures and great to see it sort of them being able to address some of their deficiencies and become a really well-rounded attacking team. So, yeah, I think that would be another great story. But, yeah, I think you were right. It's hard to go past Carlton here. Yep. No, I think that would be, that would be the icing on the cake for something that no one saw coming. For sure. That'd be fantastic. Anyway, I think we'll leave it there, Dan. Uh, thanks for jumping on. Great fun. And we'll be, back, we'll be back again next week to go over the prelim finals and who's going to be meeting in the 2023 AFL Grand Final. Uh, yeah, any feedback to footytimelive.com. Oh, footytime and, yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye for now.